Good morning. Our second reading is from Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good morning. I wonder whether you've ever received a Christmas present that you didn't really want or didn't get to enjoy. I remember one Christmas unwrapping the gift of a microscope I think my leanings more towards humanities and the science than the sciences were yet to be discerned uh, by the givers of the gift. But my initial reaction, I think, soon showed my parents that this one was a, a fail uh, and uh, it was quickly returned to the shop or, or passed on. I can't remember which. But it was uh, an unwanted gift. Then there was the model train set. Uh, too young to remember actually getting that one, but not too young. Uh, to remember that I wasn't allowed to play with it. It was a model, not a toy, I seem to remember. And I have more memories uh, actually watching it than I do of using it myself. And in that sense, it was a, an unenjoyed gift. Don't worry though, I, I, <laughs> I do have uh, plenty of uh, memories of great Christmas presents, uh, gr Christmas presents and enjoying those uh, very much indeed. But if we stop to think about it, I think it does happen probably more often than we realise. One survey found that 50% of us uh, receive an unwanted gift at least once, once a year. And an unwanted or an unenjoyed gift is a terrible thing, both for the, the giver and for the recipient, especially when it is misunderstood. Well, our passage this morning gets right to the heart of the giving of the greatest gift ever. So let's pray that we would understand it, that we would enjoy uh, what God wants to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every good and perfect gift ultimately comes from you. Help us to understand as we look at your word, both the nature and the purpose of the gift of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, do uh, get them and turn back to Philippians chapter 2 
And uh, this is a passage that deals with Jesus's birth and uh, Jesus's uh, death from a unique perspective. In it, we get to view the gift of the incarnation. That's a word that we use to describe God taking on uh, human flesh. In this passage, we get to, to view the gift of the incarnation through the eyes of the gift himself. It's almost as if the curtain is, is drawn back, if you like, and we're allowed to enter the mind of Jesus. Think about it this way, if a, if a child does something uh, that we're not quite sure about why they've done it, we often say, don't we, what were you thinking? Or if a friend embarks on a course of action that confuses us or, or puzzles us, we, we, we may seek to find out more by asking them what they, they had in mind by doing what they did. This is the sense that Paul uses the word mind in, in verse 5 um, of Philippians 2. So let's reread it from, from that verse through to verse 8. Paul writes this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, there's the gift, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think Jesus's mindset here shows us um, at least four things about the nature of the incarnation, the gift of gifts, if you like. Let's, so let's look each the, at each of those four things in turn. Firstly, it is a gift of God himself. Take a look at verse six again. Though he, that's Jesus, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, there's so much uh, one could say here, but let me just make a couple of observations. When Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God, he doesn't mean that Jesus was similar to God or that he was uh, like God or resembled him, but that he was in very nature, in very essence, in, in very form, in very substance. He was fully God. And furthermore, we're told that Jesus has equality with God. Now, yes, he chooses to view that equality in a, a specific way, but make no mistake, the gift is truly divine. The gift is God himself. Now, this is a stunning assertion by Paul. He knew only too well that the Old Testament taught God's revelation of himself as just one God. I am the God and there is no other. I am God and there is no, none like me, God declares in, in Isaiah 46. And yet Paul insists that Jesus is that one God in human form. Which means that as we look at our nativity decorations and we see those all too familiar scenes of a baby in a manger, we're not just remembering a baby but God himself, the eternal creator, the sustainer of the whole universe, whole universe, who is in flesh and he's in flesh for a reason. We'll come back to that reason uh, later on. For now, though, see the gift as, as a gift of God himself. Next, we see that it is a gift of loving humility. So having observed the mind of Christ looking at his own status, the implication is that Jesus now thinks of us, his creation, 
There is something about his status that he doesn't need to exclusively hold on to, to, to grasp. Instead, verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Verse 7, if you like, is the incarnation in a nutshell. Fully God remains 100% God and becomes 100% man in the flesh. <clears throat> Now, theologians have spilt plenty of ink on these verses over the centuries, and there's much, much to explore in them that we don't have time for this morning. But whatever else these verses mean, they cannot mean that Jesus gave up being fully God. Why? Well, because we know that elsewhere, God is described as being immortal. He is de described as being eternal, as, as self-existent, as, as unchanging. And if Jesus is all those things, he can't give them up. Rather, with, with a mindset of loving humility, Jesus chooses not to fully express his divinity, but take on the form of a servant. I love how one person summarizes this. He says, in Jesus, deity was fully possessed, but not fully expressed. Very often, though, the, the start of verse 7 is a bit of a stumbling point in people's thinking. Made himself nothing, that phrase. Other translations use the phrase emptied himself. It, it kind of suggests a lessening, sort of a taking away from, if you like, Jesus' status as, as fully God. But that is not the case at all. If we read it carefully, we'll see that nothing is taken away from Jesus in the incarnation. But there is something that is added to Jesus in the incarnation, if you like, a human form. And it's an addition that gives the appearance of a lessening. <laughs> Confused? <laughs> maybe uh, an illustration will help. Imagine, uh, if you will, that uh, maybe this is true, maybe on Friday you will open uh, a present and uh, the present will be the gift of a wonderful, shiny new pair of colourful uh, football boots. You lift the lid, you have a look and there are these glorious brand spanking new uh, football boots. And so the following weekend, you decide to, to try them out for the first time. The only problem is, is that uh, in the intervening week, there's been uh, a lot of rain. The pitch has turned into a bit of a quagmire, but you go and enjoy uh, the game. You have a great game of football. And after the game of football, you come back and taking off your boots, you see that they are unrecognisable. They're soaking. They're, they are absolutely caked in mud. Now, those glorious boots have had water and they have had mud added to them, if you like, but they now appear less than glorious. Nevertheless, they are in nature, they are in essence, the very same glorious football boots that you opened but a, but a week ago. But their glory is temporarily hidden by the addition of that mud. Now, as with all illustrations, this is far from perfect, but I think it does help us to see how, on the one hand, Jesus can remain fully God, he's, he's fully divine, and takes on the mud, if you like, of humanity. But on the other hand, his possessed divinity is not fully expressed, because the mud, if you like, of his humanity covers or, or it conceals that glory to human eyes. 
Folks, at the end of the day, this is all way <laughs> really beyond our comprehension. We can only go so far. Quite how Jesus is 100% God on the one hand and 100% uh, human on the other is, is a mystery. We, we won't understand it this side of glory. Yet what we do know about the nature of the gift here is staggering. Because it should elicit from us a sense of awe and a sense of wonder at the path Jesus chose. He looked at his status as God, if you like, and he lovingly and he humbly made himself one of us. All of which begs the question, why? Why did he do that? Why does God give him this gift of himself through Jesus? Well, partly because of what we observe next. Jesus is a gift of loving obedience. Take a look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus took on human form in order to lovingly obey his Father by dying on a cross. Which means that the primary purpose of the life of that Christmas baby was not to be worshipped and adored in that manger. It was not that he should work as a carpenter. It was not even that he should spend three influential and very important years teaching his followers. It was primarily for him to grow into a man and end up being brutally nailed to a cross in the ultimate act of sacrifice for you and for me. Jesus needed to be human to die. He needed a body to be strung up on that cross, that vicious and most cruel form of execution. I mean, crucifixion was abhorrent to the Romans. You know, it was the ultimate humiliation. To the Jews, it was a curse. And Jesus voluntarily and obediently walked that path. The obedience that Paul talks of here is, is staggering. Jesus has always been obedient to the Father, of course, not least in his work of creation, not least you know, during the course of his life. What's different here is the kind of obedience required by Jesus, for it takes him to an unimaginable place of hurt, of, of suffering, of, of pain, of agony and humiliation, and, and ultimately death itself. The gift of Christmas, if you like, leads to to the gift of, of Easter. But how can such a horror be a gift? Well, it seems it is because actually it is a gift for us. This is our fourth observation. It is a gift for us. In going to the cross, Jesus took there the punishment that each one of us deserve for our sin. And when we talk about sin, we're talking about our rejection of, of God, our insistence on, on living our own our, our life our, our own way. We're talking about those big things that we do wrong. That's sinful. We talk about those little things that we cover up that we do wrong. Each one of those things that we do, the way that we live our lives, puts us at odds with a perfect, loving and just God. And he says to us, you know what, I'm going to send my son to pay the price of that rebellion so that you don't have to. 
The gift of, of Jesus is quite simply one of the most amazing acts of, of generosity. It is the most amazing act of, of mercy in the history of the universe. And it is for you and for me. Maybe you're watching this morning and you'd like the chance to explore this some more. Well, if that is you, then please do, after this service, visit um, our Why Jesus website. You'll see the details on the screen. We, we'd love to send you a, a free book. We'd love for you to be able to join in with some discussion groups and, and watch some videos with other people that will be happening uh, in the new year. Many, many people have benefited from, from doing that. And so why not think about uh, joining in, in in the new year in one of those groups? There'll be no pressure. No hard sell, uh, just a chance to ask questions uh, and get answers to the things that really matter in this life. For the rest of us, though, what, what should our response be to this gift this Christmas time? Well, before this is ever an example to be followed, I'd like to suggest that this gift is a wonder to respond to in our hearts. For the pre-incarnate Jesus occupied a position of, of the highest possible glory, the highest possible importance. To quote the, the popular hymn, he was, he was rich beyond all splendour. He possessed all the majesty of heaven. He was loved by the Father. He was worshipped by the angels. As creator, he had the, the right to be immune from poverty and, and pain and humiliation. And yet he chose... He chose to become human and obey his Father. He could have insisted on coming in a blaze of glory, and when he comes again, he will do that. But this first time, he humbled himself, and all the, the fullness of God dwelt in, in a, inside a tiny, tiny embryo inside Mary's womb. That baby grew. That baby was born. That baby became a man. And if you were living in Palestine 2,000 years ago and you'd have bumped into that man, all you would have seen was just another man. He was ordinary. There was nothing particular about his appearance. No halo, no glow. His divinity was covered. He would have looked utterly, utterly ordinary. And it was this ordinary looking, this, this ordinary looking God-man who went willingly and obediently to an agonising death. As we meditate on, on these truths, and as we reflect on what was going through Jesus' mind as he took that path, may we never lose the wonder of the incarnation. Our God is a God of love, he is a God of humility, and he is a God of self-sacrifice. But as well as having our hearts moved by the wonder of what God has, do has done, we must also recognise Paul's point in including this in the passage, this passage in his letter to the Philippians. Because his this passage in his letter to the Philippians was a call to respond in action. We've been allowed, if you like, into Jesus' mind this morning, not just for curiosity, but in order to follow his example. And the context in Philippi was of a church facing increasing problems of division. It seems that some were acting out of self-interest, some were acting out of preference, some were acting out of a desire for power and prominence. And sadly, the same is true today in the church. It's true today in our church. 
our self-interest, our, our preferences, our, our desire for prominence mean that division is, is never far away. And it would be folly to pretend otherwise. But you don't need me to tell you that. <laughs> you already know that we, we have different opinions. We have different opinions on, on, on about our music, don't we? We have different opinions about our, our services. We have different opinions about how we respond to COVID. We have different res, uh, opinions about our, our ministry areas, about leadership styles, about the decision-making. There will always be differences. Paul's plea to the Philippians, and by implication to us, Jesmond Parish Church, down through the centuries, his plea to us is this. Be like Jesus, church. Have the same mind as Jesus in giving yourself in humble, self-sacrificial service to each other, not pushing our own rights, not pushing for our own rights, but putting others, the rights of others, before ourselves. Now that will mean a myriad different application points uh, for each of us in a large church such as ours. But whatever it is, whatever the application of that is for us, it will be costly. As like Jesus, we sacrifice our own interests in order to serve the interests of others. So, May God grant each of us the wisdom and the honesty to see how he is calling us personally to respond both in our hearts and in action. And then may he give us the strength to do so. Amen.